I would love to introduce, we have a panel this morning of collective wisdom that I am so excited to hear from. Um, and so I am going to hand things over to Greg Connolly, and he is going to introduce our panelists this morning. So let's welcome Greg and our panelists this morning. Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, I am up here uh, with, with three ladies um, who have been a part of our community for a long time and walking with the Lord for a long time. I'm actually going to have you guys introduce yourselves, if that's okay. You want to tell the people who you are and maybe how long you've been at Newcom. Yeah. I am Ava Hoffman. Um, I am Jerusha's mother. I'm Mary Weigel, and I've been at Newcom for about five years. I'm Randy Longmire, and I am Pastor Kevin's mom. <laughs> so uh, we're continuing our series on uh, the life of Jesus through the book of Mark. Today we're going to be covering uh, a section of Mark 2 through uh, just a, an intro into Mark 3. Um, and the reason that, that we're going about it this way is I think as a community we believe um, that there's a, there's a deep wisdom in life well lived and we have three excellent examples of um, living life following Jesus well and so we want to hear from, um, from these three and the, and the collective wisdom that they hold as we analyze this passage uh, and learn about how they engage um, in their life with Christ uh, in light of that. So um, I'm going to read the passage first, and if I make it through this, we're going to be good, because then they get to do all the talking after that. Um, it's a little bit longer, so bear with me, but oftentimes what we find is when we study scripture in larger chunks, we can get a, a fuller, more complete picture of what's actually going on. So Mark chapter 2, verses 18, through chapter 3, verse 6. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat, and he gave also some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. 
Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So, like I said, longer passage, lots to unpack there. Three kind of overarching concepts um, that we want to touch on today. We have um, at least, we've started with six questions. We'll see how that works. Um, but the concepts are this, feasting and fasting, the newness of Christ, and man-made rules. Feasting and fasting, the newness of Christ, and man-made rules. And so for the rest of the morning, our, our structure will be, we'll prompt a question, and these guys will kind of conversationally move through those questions, and, and we'll just kind of keep going. So the first of those, fasting, as it was talked about in the beginning of the passage, was often seemed, seen to be a symbol of mourning, of loss, of lament. Jesus is saying in that passage, I'm here now. It's not time for fasting. It's actually time for feasting. So what are the ways that you feast with or enjoy Christ in your lives? I'm not, there we go. When I was first a Christian, um, I took very seriously the scripture verse, pray without ceasing. I really struggled with it. How do you carry on throughout your day in prayer? I spent long years learning how to do that. And it was questioning the Lord over big things, over little things, um, and everything in between. And it was an ongoing conversation with the Lord through my day. So in my feasting and in my fasting, so in my struggles, and in my rejoicing, I would start out almost first thing in the morning and start a conversation with the Lord. What's today like, Lord? Where are my struggles? Where are my victories? And in the mundane, every day, that's where I found the Lord. Um, so feasting for me, it's kind of hard to feast on your own. So I'm so pleased that Newcom encourages community and I feel that I get to feast with my friends, walking and talking. Um, but I, I do start the day kind of recharging, you know, the, the verse, taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, just sitting with God in the morning starts my day and kind of feeds me 
and then I can feast with others throughout the day, um, just sharing what God is doing, what he has done. Um, and I'm a nature girl, so when I'm out in nature, I am feasting on God's beautiful creation. So I feel pretty full most of the time. Um, like Mary, I love nature, so that's one way that I feel closest to God. And um, I am a little bit like Ava in the way that I tend to just pray all day long. Not, it's not something I have to do, but it just, it's like I'm talking to God. Um, I don't have a set-aside time that I sit down and, and just pray for an hour. So it's just like talking, like he's right next to me. And that makes me feel like I'm very close to him. Um, also love Christian music. And something I started new this year is uh, writing a thank you journal. And I think I was inspired by one of the sermons. And I love that. I just put a little book right by where I read. And I enjoy writing all the things I'm thankful for. And then you look back at that and you're just amazed at the blessings you have. So. Thank you. In that same vein but maybe the other side of, of the coin in times of pain loss mourning as Jesus alludes to when he says that there will be a time when the bridegroom is no longer here and that's the time for fasting how do you engage with with Jesus the church community etc in meaningful ways in times of mourning loss pain etc Um, well, first and foremost, it's prayer. Um, so praying to God about the situation. And then we're super lucky because our entire family lives in Spokane. So we have a lot of family support. And seeking that in times of pain is so important. Also, I've been in a Bible study for 36 years. And um, that is an amazing thing. We meet every Thursday. And I think I'm the the youngest person in the group. <laughs> but over the years, uh, many of our members have passed, their spouses have passed, but we just do life together. We, we're all Christian, but we all have different ideas. And um, it's just amazing to be able to support each other through all of life's problems. And, and then when I look out at the congregation, I see so many young families and I really encourage all of you to be in a small group because my husband Greg and I were in many small groups over the years. And uh, especially as young parents, it is just so great to be in relationship with other parents that have the same issues and to share your joys and concerns. So I really encourage you to be in small groups. Not um, that was an organic comment. We did not plug that <laughs> from New Community. So. so if I'm dealing with loss or lament, um, I try to go to God first. So in my sit time with God in the morning, I'll talk about it, pray about it. And then I, I am trying to journal more regularly, so... I write down my thoughts, my questions, um, and then I like to share it with some trusted friends. 
and get some godly counsel or, you know, encouragement. So that's, I like that. I'm not very good at communicating when I'm feeling very emotional. So I really struggle with, even with talking to the Lord about something, if I'm really right in the middle of it. I'm, I'm pretty tangled up in it. Um, so I will, if I come across something in myself that I am really struggling with, or if something has confronted me, I'll often go to the Psalms or go to Proverbs and try to find my way through, try to find some kind of a passage that will take me deeper into whatever I'm, I'm encountering. And then I'll take it to the Lord. And then we will walk it out, hash it out. And oftentimes I'm unable to really talk to anyone, any person about it. So I just will hold on to it until there's a conversation that comes up and all of a sudden there it is. And then I will engage through that conversation. <coughs> Excuse me. Through that conversation. And I find that whoever I'm talking to will help me negotiate through it. So it's more of a, an experiential um, process that I go through. Bit of a period of, of wrestling, if you will. Sure. Sure. In that, the next section of the scripture, Jesus discusses the idea of adding new cloth to an old garment, not using old wineskins for new wine. He seems to be embracing the idea of something new. When have you experienced God doing something new in your life or around you, either individually, in your family, in your church, or in, in any other context that would apply here? Coming to Newcom was something new for me. Um, I was raised Catholic, went to Catholic school, and then, and then I joined the conservative evangelical community for years um, and then God moved us to Spokane and we came to Newcom and it was just so refreshing to to be encouraged to ask questions and doubt and confusion was okay and to have people not give answers but to kind of walk walk me through um, you know, what, the, what God was doing. And so, so I am still on this path of learning new things and learning new things about God and myself. And it's been pretty exciting. My husband and I moved here two years ago. That's pretty new. <laughs> so all the adjustments that come with that have been pretty exciting because we came into a community we didn't know anything about, although we'd 
visited Newcom a few times um, before coming. Um, but we didn't know Spokane, and we came in the sort of middle of the pandemic. Um, there were lots of adjustments and lots of um, challenges. And God's grace, I was just thinking about this this morning. In fact, I, I woke up early and I had to go and write it down, put it on my phone. The change has always been a challenge for me. Um, from the time I was very young, I couldn't, I was never felt prepared for change. And being unprepared just undid me. And then I thought, I realized that God's grace always meets me in the middle of those changes. And it's an amazing grace. It really is an amazing grace. And I, I found that here. I found that through this adjustment that we made here. And we may be making more adjustments very soon. <laughs> and, and I know that God's grace will meet us there. Can you say a bit more about that when you say God's grace met you or that you recognize that God's grace met you or you feel God's grace meeting you? What, is that, what does that look like, feel like, sound like? Um, how can you tell? What are you feeling in, in the middle of that? I'm putting you on the spot. I apologize. Okay. Okay. Um, things happen that I had no control over and yet it had a good conclusion. And I would meet a challenge and I had the wherewithal to even think through the challenge where there would be no reason for me to be able to engage it, to think it through, given my upheaval and emotional state. And there would be no way I could come to something with any reasonable um, thinking. But God was there and actually helped me think through some of the things. For example, we live in a household with our daughter, son-in-law, and two grandchildren, and my son. It's a challenge sometimes for all of us. And there are things, as much as we love each other and as much his history as we have, there are sometimes challenges we engage in relating to one another. If I come into a challenge and feel flustered and emotional and upset about it, I go away, God's grace meets me there. He speaks to me. He speaks into what we're doing. What is going on here? He takes it down with me. He walks me through it. Um, I would say something, uh, I think the question is about something new um, in Christ. And I see something new in Christ in my grandchildren all the time. I'm just amazed at what God is doing in them. So that's very rewarding. We have nine grandchildren all here in Spokane, so I'm able to, to really be in close touch with them. 
and uh, the good decisions that they are making. So that is a wonderful joy for me and for my husband. Um, also, something new in me um, through Christ is with the way the world is today, the turmoil, the, the disagreements, the division, the politics, everything, I feel like I'm being drawn closer to Christ. Turning off the TV, <laughs> putting the phone down, um, not watching the news, and just become closer to Christ because I know he's the only one that can, can do what's needed. Almost removing distractions in order to lean in deeper into that relationship. It's awesome. After the, this section of scripture moves away from the wineskins and, um, and the new garment, he starts to highlight how Jesus engages those around him on the Sabbath. We know that in Jewish culture at the time, there were the Sabbath rules that were highlighted in the scriptures, and then there were additional Sabbath rules that the community had created um, over thousands of years. And we see that Jesus is breaking some of these Sabbath rules for the sake of people. Describe your relationship with rules. Are you a, a rule follower, a rule breaker? Um, do you tend to go outside of rules? Uh, and, and how has that impacted your faith? I was raised in a um, non-Christian environment, home life. My father was um, Jewish. My mother was raised in an Episcopal school. And my grandmother, the three of them, were really the significant figures in my life. Um, my grandmother was an American Baptist. She was raised as a Methodist, changed into becoming a Baptist. They, we all lived in the same town together. My grandmother was more or less a rule keeper, um, but she was a very independent woman, and she had been for most of her adult life. My father was a rule keeper, essentially, but by his own rules, and he was very firm about what his rules were. And my mother kind of went in between. I was essentially taught that rules were optional. They were always suspect and always to be questioned. I remember times when we would come home from school with something that my teacher had said or someone that a, a principal maybe had made a statement and I would bring it home and my father would start to take it down. Well, this and this, and I'm not sure I want you thinking about this. And I realized that rules were not the end game. So for the most part, I am a rule follower. Um, I was raised with four siblings, and my dad could be fairly stern. Um, so I, I was the fourth child, and I noticed that my older brother got in trouble a lot. 
So I kind of learned to avoid that by being a good girl. So I went from being a good Catholic girl to a good Christian girl. And um, like I said, I'm mostly a rule follower, sometimes if it's not convenient. <laughs> but um, yes, I was the compliant child. But I'm learning now that I don't have to be that way. So yeah, thank goodness for learning. I'm a total rule follower. <laughs> um, I grew up that way. My parents weren't particularly strict, but I just adored and loved them and always wanted them to be happy with me, I guess. So I did very much grow up as a rule follower. Uh, but when I read the Bible and I, uh, I see that the Jewish people grew up with so many rules and then when Jesus came they were so confused and questioning why is he changing everything and I see that happening in the churches today um, in America today everyone's questioning everything and it is confusing and I think it's it's a time where we need to take stock of what do we believe and how are we going to go forward and so for me, I just make it pretty simple. And I just, when there's something I can't figure out or I think uh, there's too many sides to the question, I say to myself, what would Jesus do? And every time I know that Jesus would err on, in love, in acceptance, and with grace. And so I just try to live my life that way and that's my number one rule. <laughs> ironic that your number one rule allows you to not worry about all of the other rules in many cases. It's kind of nice. Uh, describe a time where perhaps, like Jesus in these two stories, you ignored or went around rules for the sake of doing good or doing what was right. Um, is there a part of your relationship with Christ, and Randy, you just touched on this a bit, um, that ignores the man-made and oftentimes church-made um, rules for the sake of, of following Christ. Respond to that quickly and say that, um, yes, if a man-made rule in a church is not accepting of others unconditionally, then I would not be there. <laughs> So again, back to my <clears throat> conservative evangelical days, um, I was pretty much told what to believe, and you know there, there were these rules. So coming to Newcom and learning of the extravagant welcome and how we can love our LGBTQ brothers and sisters and and question things, but back to your rule of loving um, I know Newcom doesn't doesn't have rules like that but it's interesting to leave those rules behind so when I talk to my friends from my old church you know they're like whoa 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 careful that's a slippery slope <laughs> so yeah we don't talk a whole lot sometimes <laughs> I um, my parents 
decided that we, when we were 18, we would be able to make up our own minds whether we wanted to go to church or not. Um, and if we did wherever we wanted to go, they would, they would be okay with that. Um, by the time I was 18, I was still interested in finding out about God, but I was definitely not interested in going to church because church was a place where they had rules and I was not very into rules. Um, and when I was 18, I was very politically um, concerned about our situation. We were in Vietnam um, I had followed, when I was younger, the career of John Kennedy and got very interested in politics when I was about 12 or 13 years old. So we're in Vietnam and there are protests going on across the United States and that's where I want to be, in one of those protests. So I was a I was a protester very early on. Well, I was probably 18, 19 years old. Um, so my whole concern at that time was making a statement. And I have had to, since coming to Christ, I have had to come back from that. It's not my statement. It's where's he coming from? What is his statement? What does he, what's his will? What does he want me to be thinking about, to be doing? And then making that adjustment, which is a challenge, <laughs> it's a challenge. I wonder if sometimes uh, the end result of your actions maybe is the same, but because the focus shifts and you know the point of, of why you're doing what you're doing shifts, the action becomes wildly different, even if it's moving the same direction. In the story specifically where uh, Jesus is criticizing Sabbath laws, he says the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So there are these, these rules that he was ex essentially explaining, this is for our good, not for the sake of the rule, right? We don't practice strict Sabbath laws, but um, Sabbath intended for rest. What does that mean in your life? What uh, is in God, God's intent for Sabbath rest and then how do you practice that? I take the scripture that Jesus is our Sabbath rest and we rest from all of our works. We rest for, from really all of our ambitions, from our ways, and we rest in him and we find our rest and our fulfillment in him, abiding in him. I find that um, my little sit time in the morning is kind of a mini Sabbath. So that's, that's really an, a great way to start the day. But we are so busy. I mean, our lives just go, 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 go. So I think 
the idea of a Sabbath not necessarily having to be on a Sunday, but at some point just stopping, pausing, and sitting or noticing things or appreciating back to nature. Um, I think that's really important. Probably we could all benefit from that. Uh, when my mom grew up um, in a religious family, they were not even allowed to play cards on a Sunday. It was just family time. That's all you did. And then when Greg and I grew up, there were no stores open. Of course, there was no internet. So it wasn't such a rushed life. And uh, Sundays usually were spent together. And, um, you know, it's hard for me to just sit still. <laughs> I, I'm just a doer. I like to do things all the time. But these, that sentence of Sabbath being made for man was more important to me than almost any of the rest of that particular scripture. It just stood out to me. How amazing that God wants us to rest. He made the day to rest. And I think it would be amazing if all of us turned off the TV, shut off our phones, and we're just in relationship one day a week. I think it truly would be amazing and would change our country. So I don't know how I'm going to do it, <laughs> but I think it would be fantastic. Sounds like we can all kind of agree that the notion of intentional time for rest, regardless of maybe what the parameters of that exactly look like, is that intent we would see as beneficial. And you, do you guys see that as beneficial in your own life? As we start to come to a close, is there anything that we haven't discussed or maybe that was coming up in your time of study or your time hearing the scripture or prayer preparing for this that anything worth sharing that we haven't covered yet? If I can, it's a... It's I think you can. It's yeah. a quote from Elizabeth Elliot. At times, nothing seems to be happening. So it must be for the bird that sits on her nest. Things are apparently at a standstill, but the bird sits quietly having, knowing that in the stillness, something vital is going on. And in the proper time, it will be shown. It takes faith and patience for the bird. And such faith and patience never seems to waver day after day, night after night, as she bides the appointed time. Restless and doubtful, we wonder why we have nothing to show for our efforts, no visible evidence of progress. Let us remember the perfect egg, unchanged, in its appearance from the day it is laid. And while the bird waits faithfully, doing the only thing she is required to do throughout those silent weeks, important things are taking place. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning. Psalm 135 and 6. Thank you. 
What a beautiful way to end our time. Thank you very much, you three, Thank for you. spending time with the scriptures Thank and, you. and for this. Thank you.